hey, this past couple of weeks and certainly the past couple of days, I've been thinking a lot just about the, the beginning of Renaissance. I remember the first couple of gatherings when we were in my apartment and uh, we wrote on index cards what we dreamed for Renaissance to be, what we were dreaming that God could do through us, a small group of people. And uh, four years later, to see this realized in, in, in many ways, it is uh, pretty incredible. Uh, for everybody in here, whether or not this is your first Sunday and you're like, who are you? And, or this is, uh, you've been here from the very beginning or somewhere in between, uh, it is one of the great honors of my life to be a part of your spiritual journey, um, to be a part of your story. Yes, thank you so much for, for that. And I'm grateful uh, to be a part of this community, to receive from you all, and it is a, a great thing for me. So a few years ago, my wife and I uh, stumbled into, for us, what was a, a little miracle. It was an apartment in Harlem that we could afford. <laughs> and uh, yes, that I, could, I can uh, have my own prayer service of thanks just for that. Um, I, when we first saw the listing, I told my wife, though, hey, listen, you're going to need some creative imagination when you see the listing for this because the apartment is a little beat up and uh, it's going to need a lot of work. We got to the apartment and we put in a bid and through a miraculous set of circumstances, we got it and we moved in and immediately we emptied our kids' college fund and um, <laughs> renovated the apartment. And we moved in about six to eight months after we first renovated it. And as soon as we got into the apartment, I remember that feeling of sitting down after all the hard work had been done, all the furniture had been moved in, and just that feeling of completion and like, yo, this just feels good. A couple of weeks after we moved in and things were renovated, um, even though I'm not the most handy person in the world, I'm not Bob Vila or anything like that. Millennials, you have no idea who Bob Vila is. <laughs> um, I heard the sound of water rushing through the walls. Now, I'm not a contractor, but I've watched enough Fixer Upper to know that that is not a good, a good sound. And I ran into the bathroom, and I saw these bubbles starting to form on the bathroom ceiling. Immediately, I ran upstairs uh, to my neighbor. Uh, I was really ready to throw some hands with her, like, yo, you flooded my joint. Uh, but she was an elderly woman, and that, that's not the reason I didn't do it. But the, uh... <laughs> And I got to look at her apartment. I'm like, yo, this joint? hasn't been redone since the Great Depression. This joint has, it has been years since any tile has been laid in, in this apartment. Uh, and that day I got an extremely painful and expensive lesson. Even though we had spent a lot of time, a lot of energy, and a lot of our money on fixing up our apartment, our apartment was only as good as the building we were living in. If we wanted a good apartment, we, need to, we needed to first focus on living in a good building. Scripture says that your life with God is not isolated. It's not a standalone house in the prairies where you have three acres and horses running around. Your faith walk with Christ is a lot more like an 80-unit building in Harlem in which you are dependent on those who are in proximity to you, your community. And if you want a great walk with Christ... Uh, you can do a lot of private renovation, and I hope you are all doing private renovation on your life. I hope you're spending time and energy investing in yourself, but just know that there's limitations in that. If you want a great spiritual life, you need a great spiritual community. Your walk with God is a community, pro a community project. 
There's a scripture in 1 Peter 2 and 5 where it just tells us pretty plainly. It says, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, what's the scripture telling us? That you and I are stones inside of one house. And that the stone is dependent on other stones as they are stacked up together to build something beautiful. But you yourself are dependent on everything else and everyone else that is around us. You and I are only as good as a house that we're living in. Our walk with God is a community project. Now, before I get too far down the road into talking about the community, the value that it is to Renaissance, what I hope you take from it, uh, I want to also make sure that you are not hearing me say something that I don't intend to say. I do not mean that your personal decisions don't matter. I do not mean that your personal commitments don't matter. I don't mean that your personal practices and habits don't matter. They matter a lot. Uh, there's a really famous scripture. If you've been to church more than eight times, you might have heard it uh, in Romans 10 and 9. It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We're not saying that a personal relationship doesn't matter. What I am saying is that a personal relationship is not enough. If you want a great relationship, you need other people. You need to shape and you need to be shaped by other people. And God uses other people in your life to draw you closer to him, to push you when you couldn't go any further on your own, uh, to explain things to you. And God uses you to do that in other people's lives. One of the great tragedies uh, as a pastor when, I, uh, when people come into Renaissance is they come in and they're really hungry for a community. And then they find their crew and they forget about, they forget about everybody else. Uh, there's a scripture in Acts 8.31 where there's this Ethiopian eunuch. Side note, a lot of historians uh, uh, point to him as the person who brought Christianity to Africa 1,500 years before the Nina de Pinta and the Santa Marina arrived. Um, that's probably bad history, but you know what I mean. <laughs> this Ethiopian eunuch was sitting alone in his chariot. He was uh, uh, very close to the royalty, and he's sitting in his chariot with a scroll unrolled, uh, reading in the prophet Isaiah, and there's an apostle named Philip, and Philip comes up to him and says, yo, my, my brother, do you understand what you're reading? Here's what his answer is. How can I, he said, unless someone guides me? There are, there is, it's totally possible that God can miraculously reveal things to you in isolation. Absolutely. There are accounts in Scripture where God just does something in someone's life, but all too, uh, too often throughout Scripture, you see that God uses people in other people's lives to shape people and to be shaped by people. Now, if we're being completely honest, though, um, uh, to be committed to community, to be committed to the household of faith and not just your own, uh, your own personal walk means that you're going to have to deal with people. And if you spent nine seconds around people, then you know that people are fickle, people disappoint you, people do things, uh, they say one thing and they do another, and they don't live up to the expectations that you have for them. Dealing with people is messy, no doubt about it. And as much as it will be easier for you to seek control of your own spiritual life and say, you know what, they've disappointed me enough, I'm just going to come here by myself and read my Bible, listen to a couple of podcasts, and I'm going to get the direct download. Before you think that, uh, just know that your walk with God is really and truly a community project. And even if you have disappointments with people, man, I don't want you to run away from that. I tell the story at our membership class. Uh, we have a, another one coming up October 6th, not this Saturday, but next Saturday. 
uh, a time where I was, man, deeply disappointed uh, by people who were, quote-unquote, supposed to be in my community. It was the roughest time of my life. Uh, I've told the story a number of times about my late wife passing away from cancer. And this was a, we were going to a church together. That was like a really cool church. I grew up at Shiloh Baptist, and you, know, you didn't wear jeans in Shiloh Baptist. You didn't do that in the Lord's house. Um, <laughs> But this new church was dope. Like, you could wear jeans and sneakers, and the service was over short, praise the Lord, right? So we would have the whole day ahead of us to do everything that we wanted to do. And I thought that this was everything that I've ever dreamed of and wanted. And, and then my, my late wife got sick. And I remember one day emailing my community group that I had joined, like, hey, man, we've just been in a hospital for, you know, the last couple of weeks, and it's, it's rough. And if you guys know me, uh, you, it, you know that I, it takes almost everything for me to ask for help. Uh, I can give help in a nanosecond, but it, will, it takes life beating me down beyond repair for me to actually reach out to someone to ask for help. So in the moment of my weakest moment, I reached out for help, and nobody showed up. After she passed away, uh, nobody came to the funeral. Nobody uh, reached out to me. They might have liked the Facebook post, but nobody uh, texted, emailed, called me, for two months, and that absolutely shattered my faith in people. Now, nobody in this world would blame me if I said, you know what, I left that church as soon as that happened, uh, because in a lot of ways, I would have had every right to leave. I tried it, it didn't work, and I moved on to something else. But in those months after, I felt, honestly, a deep conviction to stay, because I didn't want another person to ever experience what I experienced in that community. In those months and weeks after that, to learn to forgive people just as Christ forgave me, man, that did something in my soul. I thought that I needed the community to be there for me in my darkest days, and I did. But equally, what I received from that community is the ability to live out my faith, the words that come from my mouth. I was able to finally put those into practice. Secondly, in those times, uh, even when I was dreaming about being a church planter, uh, full disclosure, I had dreams about days that Renaissance would be packed and we got the, uh, the marching band coming through and we got food in the cafeteria and everything is all great. Uh, but more than that, more than dreaming about a packed house, I dreamed about the day when this community of people would take ownership for the person standing next to them. That you would not see yourself in isolation even if you've already gotten what you've already come to get. When I first moved to Harlem, um, there was an old school cat named Mr. Mike. Uh, he lived right down the block from here. Um, he passed away a couple years ago, uh, but he was a staple on this block. And every single day, I would come home, and Mr. Mike would be standing outside waiting for me uh, to get home, and we would talk uh, about the misery of what it feels like to be a Knicks fan. Um, <laughs> and uh, he would, uh, I, I told him all about my plans to marry my wife, and I remember Mr. Mike in his old, old school voice and telling me about his 40 years of being married to his wife, and like, if you got a good one, don't let it go. Every single day coming home, I would always be always in a rush, trying to, you know, getting ready to do something to be more productive. And slowly but surely, I realized the gift that was being offered to me to be welcomed into the neighborhood by a staple of the neighborhood. Mr. Mike didn't need me. But what he gave to me is he made a kid that just moved in feel like he was at home. You might have gotten everything you want from Renaissance already on your own. You might already have gotten a community. You might have your crew for brunch. You might not feel like there's anything else that you have come here to get. You and your crew might be good on their own, but maybe when we talk about this notion of community, maybe the, the, the topic that I want you to hear is more about what you can be 
than what you can receive. Despite the messiness of people and despite the personal, sometimes selfishness that we have and blindness that we have to other people's needs, uh, our walk with God is truly a community project. You and I need other people, uh, and other people need us. There's a scripture that I want us to focus in on today. It comes from the book of Hebrews, um, the 10th chapter, and it reads as follows. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a high priest, a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised us is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, this is one of the sections of scripture that is intended for vegans, the lettuce commands. Um, <laughs> six of you got it. It's a bad joke. I know it's bad. Let us, over and over and over again, the scripture tells us, let us draw near to God. Let us hold on to the hope we profess. Let us push each other toward love and good deeds. <laughs> now, this piece of scripture gives us advice on, just on how you and I can shape and be shaped by community. In, in the first verse we see here in verse 22, it says, to let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. I was talking about baptism. Um, and the writer says two things in this verse that I want to focus in on. Uh, the first is that there is a community aspect in you drawing closer to God. If you want to draw closer to God, which I'm assuming all of you in this room want to do, uh, you're going to need other people to do that. And secondly, there's a community aspect to you having more assurance and faith. Uh, how does community help you draw closer to God? Uh, I was reading a Christian author by the name of C.S. Lewis. He's written a number of, uh, of works, and he's a pretty famous author. And C.S. Lewis talks about how he needed other people to fully see other people. And he was in a, friends, in, a, in a group of friends of authors, and they hung out all the time. And one of his friends died. And he talks about when one of his friends uh, passed away, it changed the relationship with everybody. It changed the relationship, not just with the one that was deceased, but there was a piece of his other friends that was no longer accessible. Uh, there was a piece of his friends that was unlocked only by other people, and there were aspects that he couldn't see on his own. Here's how he says it. In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I can't see anyone fully. I need other people and other eyes to see them. Now that his friend Charles was dead, he said, I'll never see that part of my other friend, Ronald, that Charles brought out. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I actually have less of Ronald. I don't know if you've ever noticed that in your family and your friends uh, that different people bring out different things in each other. One of the best years of my life, uh, the funnest years of my life, was my first year of law school, where I lived with my older brother and my older cousin. And me and my brother have a great relationship. He and I are about two and a half years uh, apart. He never let me hang out with him in high school, but that's another conversation. <laughs> 
and uh, I thought that I knew my brother very well, actually. I didn't really know my brother until we lived together that year in law school because my older cousin brought out another part of my brother that I had never seen. Now, if we need people to draw out other things in people, how much more true of that is that for God? Do you really think that you can access all that God is, all who God is, by yourself? Here's what we know to be true. If you and I want to draw near to God, we need other voices and other people speaking into that. One way we're going to do that um, in our community groups and in other ways at Renaissance is something called the public reading of Scripture. And this semester, more than any other time, uh, the community groups will be structured that there's, this, there's just going to be time where y'all read Scripture together, and you're going to ask one simple and profound question. What stuck out to you from this text? I did this with some friends a couple of weeks ago, and it was, it was amazing. There were things that they saw in the scripture that I would just never would have seen on my own. And there's a richness when other people come to God uh, together and, and, and talk about uh, scripture or talk about the faith. And there are aspects of God that you and I inherently on our own cannot see, and we need other people to help us draw near to God and get a fuller picture. Now, the writer also tells us that we need each other for the full assurance that faith brings. The full assurance that faith brings. You need other people to be more confident and bold in your walk with God. Years ago, I went skydiving, and um, on second thought and on many other thoughts, it was a, a horrendous decision. Um, and I remember um, the entire way up, I was like, yo, this is the worst decision I have ever made in my life. Uh, we were sitting on a bench, and there was this little glass door, and the photographer uh, was standing there, and I got the photo package and the video package because I knew I wasn't ever doing it again. And this dude just flew up this glass door and just was like, put your hand out. Doesn't that feel amazing? I was like, yo, yeah. <laughs> Feels great. We got to 15,000 feet, and it was time to jump. And everything inside of me said, Jordan, you don't know these people. You could just tell them I'm not doing it. You paid already. Your money, your, your, your credit card cleared already. You've given them what they want. The only thing that gave me assurance to actually jump out of a perfectly good plane was the man that was strapped to my back. This guy, when we were on the ground, showed me a picture of his daughter and said, hey, I have over 1,000 jumps. I'm going to see my daughter tonight for dinner time, and you're going to come down with me. I didn't have the assurance of myself. I knew that if I jumped out by myself, I would have blacked out the second I jumped out the airplane. <laughs> it's funny, I remember showing my mother the video of uh, skydiving, and I was in the, in the kitchen showing my mother the video of, of skydiving, and she was watching that joint with so much suspense in her eyes, and the parachute went off. She was like, ah! I was like, ma. I'm here. I'm st I, I showed you the video. I'm, do you not know how this story ends? It's a, it's a scary, scary thing, even for mothers to relive uh, when their sons are completely in the safety of their, of their homes. But I needed the assurance that someone else could bring. Now, I am not recommending that anybody goes skydiving. It's a pretty terrible decision for a lot of reasons. However, there will be points in your life where what Christ is calling you to do feels like jumping out of a plane. Faith is trusting what God said over what you see. And you're going to need other people 
that will attach themselves to you to say, listen, I've walked down this road before. I have seen the faithfulness of God. We're going to go this thing together. Sometimes in your life, maybe it's past, maybe it's coming up, there will be a decision that you have to make or there's a decision that someone else needs to make. And the only assurance that they're going to have, the strength that they're going to have, the boldness, the courage is going to come from someone else. They're going to have to borrow it. You're going to have to borrow it. There are some decisions that you're just not going to make on your own. You need the full assurance that faith brings sometimes through other people. The verse continues uh, in verse 23. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised us is faithful. Now, the word unswervingly is not a word that you hear every single day. And essentially, uh, there's a subtext behind this command. Scripture tells us to hold on unswervingly because the road of faith is full of curves. It's not an escalator where you, you, know, you just stand up and stand to the right if you don't want to walk up and be lazy. Uh, faith is not an escalator up. Faith is not an, an adventure that is uh, a risky thing done on your terms. Faith is a journey. And on journeys, you don't know what's coming up next. And there's a ton of, ton of curves on the road of faith. Side note, if you have noticed, and if you are noticing that in your life, things are getting more complex instead of less complex as a result of following Jesus, you're on the right path. Yes. Scripture tells us to let us hold on unswervingly to the hope that we profess. And there's going to be some times in your life where you are not going to have it in you to hold on yourself. Here's what the, book, the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But here, listen to this piece right here. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person keep alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Uh, I remember uh, one of the first times when I was talking to someone at Renaissance who left the church, not because they didn't like, you know, the theology or, or the worship set or whatever. They left because they lost faith. Uh, that's one of my uh, probably worst case scenarios when I, when, I, when I see people and they left and I just know they're not doing well. They just stop believing. They just stop holding on to what they once were holding on to. And without exception, I've seen this happen a number of times, the first question I usually ask them is, who were you connected to? That person fell down and they were by themselves. In order for us to hold on on the journey of faith, we're going to need other people. That if you were to fall down, someone can lift you up, someone can encourage you. And if you are feeling great in your faith and you're feeling rock solid, then you need to be that for someone else. The verse continues, um, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And this, this word, I want you guys to think about this word, consider. Let us consider. Let us give thoughts. Let us plan in advance. Let us think about how I can encourage other people toward love and good deeds. And in the scripture, we're told to create the habit that you and I are not just here to get something but also to give something. Let me say that again. You and I need to create the habit that you and I are not just here to get something, but you are here to give something. Uh, before community groups start, I can always tell you with 100% accuracy, the group that is headed towards mediocrity at best and complete uh, trash at, at, at more than likely is a group full of people who are all there to get something. 
They come back after the first session, yeah, you know, it was all right, you know what I'm saying, the discussion wasn't that on point, I didn't really feel really warm and tingly uh, on the inside, you know, and I invited like three people out to hang out with me and nobody showed up and it's just whack, I didn't get what I wanted to get. When you have 10 or 12 people who are all coming to get something, it is absolutely a misery waiting to happen. Scripture is telling us here that you and I need to create the habit to think about, to consider how you can spur someone else on towards love and good deeds. If I was going to try to step on some bunions real quick, uh, a lot of you haven't found community because you're not willing to be community. Some of you guys have spent your entire time using other people to become a better version of you and wondering why it's not working. Jesus tells us in Matthew 10 and 39, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. In the kingdom of God, there is this upside-down thing happening that in order for you to get something, you kind of have to first lose your life in pursuit of it first. Uh, Every single time I do premarital counseling, I see this happen in my life. When I'm pouring out into someone else, uh, talking about the hopes that they should have for their marriage, I'm like, yo, this is good. I need to start doing this joint in, in my marriage. And when I am pouring out, I find myself being poured into. It won't happen the day after you do it, but in some cases, maybe the reason you don't get encouragement is because you never give encouragement. Maybe the reason you're not having deep biblical conversations is because you don't read the Bible. (laughs) Did that hurt? Did that hurt too much? We need to pour out what we want poured in. You and I need to pour out what we need poured in. Now, I want to make sure I give an out for people who are experiencing life in the most painful of ways uh, at this moment. If you are in a really, really painful time, you have a hall pass to take, 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 take. Uh, I remember after my wife and I had a a miscarriage about a year and a half ago before my second son was born, uh, that next community group, I was like, yo, I ain't got nothing on the agenda. I'm not leading a discussion. I need to receive prayers. I need to receive encouragement. And if you are in a place in life right now that's just really, really tough, by all means receive. But that shouldn't last forever. That should never last forever. Too often we are just in a habit of not considering how we may spur other, other people to love and good works. And all we're thinking about is how other people can do for us. A great community is not built on people who are there trying to get something. A great spiritual house that will nourish you, that will equip you, that will motivate you, that will correct you, that will do the things for you that you need it to do is all. They are all focused on what they can give and not simply what they can get. Later, the scripture tells us uh, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, um, all, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, it's really interesting. The church uh, began to meet together on Sundays, and uh, all throughout ancient Israel, uh, the, the temple and, and the Sabbath were on Saturdays. But when the Christians, the early Christians first started to meet, they started to meet on Sundays, and here's why. Jesus rose on a Sunday, and he met them on that Sunday. Uh, the following week, you see Jesus appearing to his more disciples the following Sunday. And Christians started to get into the rhythm of meeting on Sundays because they had in this expectation, when we gather, God shows up. I don't know what the rest of your life looks like, but I can tell you with absolute certainty, if you go through life and only uh, going when, when it feels really, really convenient for you with an expectation that God is not going to meet you, I don't know how healthy your spiritual walk is going to be. 
Jesus gives us his promise that wherever two or three are gathered, I'm going to be in this midst. And something powerful happens when we gather together. Now, Scripture tells us, it puts a really interesting phrase on it. He says, not giving up on gathering. And again, there's a subtext behind that because there are reasons why you'd want to give up. There are pressures in life. There are dealing with the complexities of people that would make you want to stay away. And one of the things that I was wrestling with all week is like, Lord, uh, what is it about people that you're calling me to be so committed to? And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I can never give up on the church because Jesus has never given up on the church. When my wife gave birth to my, to my sons, that's when I first understood the phrase to love someone to death. And I would gladly jump in front of 100 bullets, Matrix style, for my boys. And if you want a great relationship with me, not just a superficial relationship with me, you cannot give up on the, who I love the most and still want a relationship with me. There are Christians who want a relationship with God, but not with God's people, who Jesus loves to death. Hebrews 12 and 2 says that for the joy that was set before him, he what? He endured the cross. Jesus had your face in his mind. He had the one who got on your nerves. He had her face on, on his mind when he decided to go to the cross. Jesus loves us to death. And I don't want you giving up on the people that Christ loves to death. So let us draw near to God together with the full assurance that faith brings. Let us not be thinking about what we can get, but what we can give. Let us hold on unswervingly to the hope that we profess, because he who promised is faithful. Over the past four years, I have seen God's faithfulness to us in my greatest doubts and in times of insecurity. And what I know to be true more than anything else are these three words, God is faithful. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have never given up on us and you never will, that you love us, that you are here for us. God, I pray that this house of faith would be one that nourishes, encourages, guides, corrects, uh, motivates each other towards love and good deeds. God, I pray that we would not uh, give up on other people even the people who have failed. I pray that you would just show us your deep love for others, which is also a sign of your deep love for us. That you're not just not giving up on them, but you're not giving up on us. Jesus, our resurrected Savior, would you give us confidence and hope in you? Would we know that you are the one that we can lean the entirety of the weight of our lives on? God, in the next number of years for this church, would you continue to meet us in our midst? We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.